Hour number two kit here, kicking off in the White Claw Hard Seltzer Studios. What did we miss last night, Sammy boy? Thanks, John. You're welcome. Big night in the NBA, obviously, with the trade deadline. We'll go through a bunch of the notable trades of the day. Uh, first, starting out, former Tennessee volunteer Grant Williams sent uh, from Dallas to Charlotte along with Seth Curry in a 2027 first-round pick. P.J. Washington will be headed back to the Mavericks. Okay. So, P.J. Washington was rumored to be getting out of Charlotte. Grant Williams was rumored to be falling out of favor in Dallas, not really fitting in there. So, they just said, hey, we're going to swap it. We'll send you back home to North Carolina. Grant Williams, of course, from Charlotte, North Carolina. Seth Curry, I imagine, also yeah, from Charlotte, North Carolina, because they always talk about Steph being – there when his dad, Dell played for the Hornets. I imagine Seth would be as well. So kind of two homecomings. Two good, two smart basketball players, two mature basketball players. So like from Charlotte's standpoint, you know, maybe bringing them into that locker room might be good. But also makes me worry about how they're going to fit in. I saw someone say that if Grant Williams tries to go there and be a leader, they're going to, he's going to end up with some lean poured over his head. Yep, I saw that. Because <laughs> Miles Bridges ain't trying to hear that. Lamella's not trying to hear Old goofy Grant Williams try to come in and be a leader. <laughs> Those two guys, they, they need leadership. They do. But I laughed at, yeah, the tweet that said that he was going to have lean poured over his head. Oh, God. Uh, in, but I don't know if Grant Williams, you know, is going to go there and get a bigger role or what. Yeah. Like, it's not a good sign for him. But the good, the good news is he got his contract. The bad news is that the team that gave him his contract traded him months later. I was like, you know what, this might have been a mistake. Anyways, up next, Sam, other trades? Uh, up next in New York, Bojan Bogdanovic uh, headed to the Knicks along with Alec Burks. Uh, the Pistons are going to get you know a, a multitude of guys. They're going to get Evan Fournier, Malachi Flynn, Quentin Grimes, Ryan Archie Diacono, and two second-round picks. You know, i got to say the Knicks are one of the best organizations in the NBA right now. The way they have kind of bolstered this roster – they have a bunch of first-round picks at their disposal. I think they built themselves one of the two or three best rosters in the East right now, and they didn't even have to get up, give up any first-round picks. They got mm-hmm. OG Ananubi without trading a first-round pick. You know, I think Bojan Bogdanovic is a a pretty good option to be your you know anywhere from your fifth to your eighth guy, a good scoring wing, a smart basketball player. They get him, and Alec Burks, I mean, I don't know how big of a factor he'll be, but at least he's a, a professional that can come in and hit a couple shots from time to time. Got them for nothing. If you're Detroit, Quentin Grimes may be in your long-term future. I mean, he's a he's a young a young wing that can play some defense that didn't really have an offensive role in New York, maybe buying low on him. He could be a piece next to Cunningham and, and, and Jaden Ivey, but I don't know. I wanted the Hawks to kick the tires on Grimes because I wanted any – wing players who could play defense, but... They made a big deal about Grimes getting reunited with Marcus Sasser in Detroit, too. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I think Grimes has a chance to be a player, so if you're Detroit, you're buying low on a prospect. They, yeah. they don't need Bogdanovich, you know, a 34-year-old wing. They don't need Alec Burks. So, like, for them, I, I get it. But New York, I mean, they've got a good eight, nine-man rotation, and they're loaded with draft capital and can go out and maybe get a third star in the offseason. Them and the Lakers are going to be bidding for a third star this offseason if anybody comes open. Uh, some more news here for uh, here for Bob. Pacers. Uh, they're going to they're they're go after the, of Trey Young. That's going to be the conversation all offseason is the Lakers, who have three draft picks to trade after this year, three first-round picks. They're going to be talking about going for Trey Young. I did see it got floated that – it's already Trae happening. Is, yeah, he's but gone. They're already yeah. happening. Like Trey Young's going to force his way out this offseason, which the Hawks didn't do anything yesterday. So, like, uh, you know, if Trey gets frustrated with them, I, I get it. But that's what's going to happen. They, they didn't trade for a star yesterday. They're going to try to get Trey Young. LeBron was doing his job of campaigning for Trey to be an all star. I don't know if you saw that a couple weeks ago. He's planting that seed early. Yeah. yeah. Nope. He, nope. Trey's on the clutch agency. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. <laughs> Uh, Bob's Pacers are sending away Buddy Heald in return. They're going to get Marcus Morris Sr., Furkan Korkmaz, uh, and three second-round picks. And they've already – but they're flipping Morris to get uh, Doug McDermott. Yes, my son. Buckets. So, essentially, they get rid of Buddy Heald, and they end up with, with Doug McDermott. Is yeah. kind of the way this worked out, right? Because they, they 
already released Corkmaz. They, of course, flip Marcus Morris. So really, it's a buddy hilled for Doug McDermott trade. Yeah, and they got a couple second round picks, which you know may may ultimately mean nothing. They sent one of those, I think, to go get McDermott along with Morris. But I'm uh, Buddy Hield's been a liability this season. So um, he, I, I actually love Buddy, but I'm happy to see him go. They they need a they need a breath of fresh air at shooting guard. Yeah, I mean, when it comes to shooting, McDermott can come down and he's hitting 44 percent of his threes and. Probably a little bit more willing to come in and only get, you know, five or six shots a game versus Buddy Hill, who wants ten to eleven shots a game. So, from a know your role and continuity standpoint, and a little bit of size, it makes sense. They're also high on this rookie. Uh, it's not their first rookie pick. Uh, it's Ben Shepard from Belmont. They like him a lot. He's he's getting he's getting more playing time than Jarris Walker. And Aaron Neesmith has kind of carved out his yeah. role there too. It kind of has like their third or fourth best option. Uh, that was a guy out of Vandy, right? That went to Boston, and yeah, he was part of the Brogdon deal. Yeah, he was a he was a mid first rounder, and then never really got a chance in Boston. Couldn't really crack that rotation behind their you know clouded wings, but has flourished so far in Indiana. So yeah, Buddy Hield to the Sixers gives the Sixers you know a heat check guy like they need. If Buddy Hield would embrace kind of being that six man that can come in and. And and try to spark the bench unit and come in and score fifteen to twenty points, uh, you know, on a whim. That could be good for the Sixers' depth when Embiid gets back. Uh, moving to the NFL, last night we had the NFL awards. Um, a couple shockers: Demar Hamlin, not comeback player of the year. Joe Flacco wins it. Credit to whoever voted on this for getting it right because. Maybe, maybe Demar Hamlin came back from the dead. Maybe you know there are some conspiracies out there saying that that's not the real Demar Hamlin. But if I'm Demar Hamlin, I don't want that award either. I'm like, oh, come on, like, don't embarrass me. Did you see the scoring breakdown? I didn't. So Demar Hamlin won first place technically, but didn't have a. Some people a, just left him off the ballot. There's so it's you get five points for a first place vote, three for a second, and one for a third. DeMar Hamlin got 21 first-place votes, and Flacco got 13, but Flacco got 26 second-place votes, and DeMar Hamlin only got seven. So Flacco won the points total, 151 to 140, but Hamlin technically won the first place. Well, I'll, I'll give credit to the writers. They're just like, you know what, we're not voting for Hamlin at all in yeah. the top two because we're, we're not going to partake in this participation trophy because that's literally what it was. Hey you, hey, you were dead, but now you're participating. Here's a trophy. Flacco came from, you know, out of the league. Now the steroids, you know, probably, he probably took a bunch of steroids this offseason to get healthy and, you know, he wasn't getting drug tested because he wasn't on the team and all that. So, like, you know, he might have might have benefited from that. But I thought it should have been Joe or Baker Mayfield, personally. See, I liked Baker. Baker was third at 93 points. So I kind of thought that Baker had a better a better chance than that as well. I guess Baker didn't have the comeback from the the depths that Flacco did, or the you know, the operating table like Hamlin did, but because Baker was Baker kind of had a flash last year, right? Or was it? I guess with the Rams, yeah, last yeah, year. Last yeah. year that was mm-hmm. with the Rams, right? He had a little bit of a flash there, and kind of yeah. already kind of planted the seed that he might be a not finished yet. He might have some years left as a starting quarterback. Yeah, rounding right. out those uh, NFL awards, you had Lamar Jackson win his second MVP. Christian McCaffrey, Offensive Player of the Year. Miles Garrett, Defensive Player of the Year. C.J. Stroud, your Offensive Rookie of the Year. Uh, Will Anderson is your Defensive Rookie of the Year. Oh, wow. Look at yeah. the Texans. Both Offensive and Defensive <laughs> Rookie of the Year. Good for you, you Houston. Wow, so impressive. As Byron Young had better stats than Will Anderson this year. It was robbed. Robbed. Probably should have just been Jalen Carter. Uh, and then you had the... Uh, class of 2024, uh, Hall of Fame class announced some some notable names in there. You had uh, Devin Hester, Julius Peppers, Andre Johnson, Patrick Willis, Dwight Freeney. Those are kind of your main guys in that Hall of Fame class this year. Obviously, kind of Devin Hester has been a name that's been controversial, I guess, in terms of whether he deserves or not to get into the Hall of Fame. Wait, wait, did he get in or not? He did get he in. Did. Oh, nice. Okay. I mean, I, he's a Hall of Fame, he's a Hall of Fame returner. That's what I think so too. He was he, he was a game changer without a doubt. I mean, yeah, he, he really was. He deserves to be included in the the Hall of Fame just because he was a very important person in the NFL. Like for a good stretch, he was 
one of the biggest X factors in the league. Shout out to Tennessee boy though, Patrick Willis, one of our own, getting a chance to uh, get into the Hall of Fame. A big miss by our staff to not bring him in to play linebacker. Hey, Sam, back to um, the honors. So Stefanski got coach of the year. Yes, Stefanski got coach of the year. It had to be super close. I heard on the radio driving in, they said that the difference was he had one more first place vote than D'Amico Ryan. I couldn't find the breakdown of coach of the year votes. Um, Yeah, I was, I'm not super surprised, I guess, but I was, I kind of thought that the Texans getting to the playoffs with that team, obviously after last year, I would have thought D'Amico maybe would have got it. Yeah, Stefanski won 11 games, though, and brought Joe Flacco back from the dead. Yeah. Even without Joe Flacco, he also had, uh, not Deshaun Kaiser, sorry, that's a different Browns quarterback, but he had P.J. Walker for a stretch. He had Dorian Thompson-Robinson or Thomas Robinson. I can never get that name No, it's DTR. You're right. Yeah, but I don't know if it was Thompson or Thomas, but Thompson – he had he had four quarterbacks this year. And he had the nasty hard. man. He, he was out hard. there with the nasty man, Deshaun Watson, which I, I think winning eleven games with that deserves coach of the year. D'Amico Ryan's did great. Good he job. Won Ten with a team that won two the year before, though. Right? I, I hear you. I'm just saying, good job, D'Amico Ryan's. I'm I'm assuming he got second place. It was very yeah. close. Like both of them would have been a worthy sure. winner. I just don't think we should put Stefanski down and act like D'Amico had a much better case than him. Uh, they're pretty equal jim schwartz also got assistant coach of the year so seeing the browns like sweep the coaching awards maybe is a little strange i don't know yeah yeah him being the assistant coach of the year is a little surprising because i mean the the cleveland defense was good but i do think it was a little fraudulent i think it was really i think it was awesome at home and a little questionable on the road funny enough you know domingo ryan's did whip stefanski's ass in the playoffs so, I mean, I, if you're D'Amico Ryans, you probably take that over the, the trophy of saying, right. hey, we, I beat you in the playoffs, and we made Jim Schwartz look bad. <laughs> but for, like, you know, all the coordinators and assistant coaches, like, I didn't see his name mentioned at all for a head coaching opportunity. He's a guy that could have been a retread that had some experience that you could have said learned. Yeah, like, is you go and take a chance on a Dan Quinn again. Like, yeah. you, you don't want to take that chance on a Jim Schwartz. Yeah, I mean, Schwartz, of course, didn't go to a Super Bowl, but, I mean, like, he had some solid years in Detroit. I mean, when you're grading on a curve like we were doing with Dan Campbell, like, I mean, Jim Schwartz deserves a little credit, too, but he didn't even get mentioned. And, you know, your other coordinators like Ben Johnson and McDonald and and Slowick all, you know, got opportunities or at least got offered opportunities to interview and things like that, and Schwartz was kind of an afterthought. He might just be good coasting to the end of his career as a coordinator, though. Also. Yeah, no, they, there was a report, though, that he was interested in being a head coach really? again. Yeah, I thought I saw that, like, in the offseason. Interesting. Yeah. I guess he I guess he might be ready to give up that that hope. Any other headlines we might have missed? Um the uh SEC, they distributed uh 51.3 million to each school up uh it's like up a little bit over 2 million kind of from last year, just about like 50 million I guess. I saw that the ACC numbers were close to like 38 million though, yeah. so that really shows, you know, how bad Florida State and, and Clemson are trying to get out of there. Now the fifty-one million, Bob, is that counting SEC network money? It's it is. Yeah, it's a, it's a distribution on all that revenue from TV rights and all of that stuff. So that's all the money the SEC schools get is the fifty-one million. Yeah, each so the, one. So the difference was only thirteen million between that and the ACC. That would be surprising. I, I thought the SEC and Big Ten was supposed to be closer, to like seventy. Is that like in the contract moving forward, or maybe so? Uh, yeah, the Big Ten typically leads the list. The Big Ten's number wasn't at seventy. There's I think is like high fifties, and okay. so they're the they're the tops in distribution. Um, but yeah, you may be looking at what is down the line. Uh, but yeah, the ACC difference. I mean, that's still a significant difference. Yeah. Um, if you go like a year, you know, over a sure, course sure, of a, sure. yeah, of a contract, ten, a ten year, yeah, yeah a ten year term. I mean, it's a lot of money. Sure. And then yeah, I mean, the I'm sure that goes up. It'll go up now. Maybe it was seventy million with the new contracts with like ESPN That's, and getting yeah. in there. Maybe maybe that is it moving forward, moving off of CBS because the CBS deal was so bad. Which is crazy money when you figure it's going to be two more teams in there too. You yeah. know, I mean, it's going to yeah. get that much more money spread against against that many more teams and. It's pretty amazing. Yeah, that makes sense because the CBS deal was thought of as like one of the best bargains in, in all of sports for a long time, what they had locked in with the SEC. And, of course, now that goes to ESPN. So, yeah, maybe that's when the $70, $70 million uh, number kicks in. Last NFL note, I guess we should mention they are one of the most popular teams, but the Dallas Cowboys did find their defensive coordinator, oh, yeah. Mike Zimmer. I was hoping for Rex Ryan. I was hoping Me for too. Rex Ryan. But Mike Zimmer – 
gets the nod to coordinate the Dallas defense. So as the rest of the league is getting younger, the Cowboys are like, you know what, let's, let's go with experience. Let's bring in a, an old proven vet to – Maybe they can rehabilitate, or maybe maybe he's just a guy that can coach defense still. I mean, his defenses in Minnesota always got credit for being pretty good. It was just kind of his relationship with Cousins and the quarterback and the offense that kind of did him in, I believe. Caitlin Clark, before we end uh, headlines, mm. 39 points away from the record. That's what I was hoping. that, Is that one game away, John? We'd be in striking distance. I, I think she'll get it. I, I, like I said with LeBron, you know, he could have – Nickel and dimed his way to the all-time scoring record, but there was the one night he was like 30-something points away. He's like, you know what? I'm going to get it. We got Phil Knight in the front row. We got all the celebrities that are out there. I'm going to go out and get it. Now, I don't know if any celebrities are going to show up in Iowa or wherever the game is, but I think for her, she would rather do it in a 40-point game than do it you know, by getting 30 and then 10 the next game. I'm hoping at least. I'm hoping she's gunning for 40. She had the, uh, the poor man's triple-double last night. I don't know if you saw that. 27 points and then, I don't know, like double-digit assists and then double-digit turnovers, mm. Um, mm. which I guess stands to reason she handles the ball that much. And their post player had like 47 points too. Um, so I, I guess maybe the other team keyed on Caitlin and, yeah. So upcoming game on Sunday at Nebraska or a home game – on the 15th against Michigan. I'm guessing Iowa probably wants her to do it at home. I was just going to say, they. I, I saw this morning that she averages against Nebraska, however many games she's played against them, she's averaged about 35 a game against them. So, yeah, if it, the script was perfect, it would. she'd fall just short and then go break it at home in the first five minutes of the game. Well, if the script was perfect, she, she breaks it with the three-pointer to – with about a minute left against Nebraska. I don't know if Nebraska's good enough to keep it close. But, yeah, earlier this uh, year, really just a couple weeks ago, against Nebraska, she scored 38 points in a 19-point win. So, going to be right around that number. 38, 35, 38, 27. Well, 45 before that against Ohio State. Those are her most recent numbers. Now that you mentioned that game's at home, I could see – and she's from Iowa, and I could just see her, you know, like – Shut it down herself. Uh, I hope not. I hope not. I want to see her go for 40. I think it'd be breaking the scoring record in a 40 point game would be pretty cool. Yeah. Not getting 35 and coming out and doing it in the first couple minutes of the first quarter. Although it would be more of a celebration at yeah. Iowa, of course. Yeah. All right, Sam, send us to break. It's the morning show on Fan Run Radio. Back on the program, this segment is brought to you by our friends at SM Athletics. I told you, you're gearing up. Sports are here. AAU basketball, baseball, fast pitch softball, track and field. Speaking of track and field, man, former track star here at UT, Bianca Belair. She was looking good last night in Vegas. See the picture, Sam? At the WWE event they did last night, Bianca came out. I meant to put some WWE news in my headlines, actually. Why? Every time I see her, I'm like, wow, what a... No-. Well, it's a very popular thing, Bob. I, I know. Saw, uh, I know. What was it? Uh, eight, how, how many billions of dollars did they get from Netflix? Okay, I get it. Kind I of a big it. deal. But every time I see Bianca, Sam, she comes walking out with those legs. Absolutely stacked. Absolutely stacked. Very strong track athlete. I'd like to know how much she could squat. But give us some love to our track and field ladies. If you have any uniform equipment or screen print or embroidery needs for the upcoming season, give SM Athletics a call. You'll get ex- excellent customer service. You'll get great products at a fair price. And when they say it's done, it'll be done right and on time every time. Shop locally. Support the people who support us, SM Athletics. Boy, do they support us. Don't chance it with unreliable mega stores. Give your business to somebody you can get on the phone immediately and get your order taken care of. 865-966. Sam, what's the last four digits? 3434. 3434. There we go. Now he's paying attention to the live reads. SMAthletics.com. SMAthletics.com. Did you see the hill turn last night, by the way, Bob? Did you see the rock? He's going Hollywood rock. He's going, he's going bad guy. 
Movie started flopping. Now he's like, okay, I got to come back and go all in on this WWE run. Did you see it, Bob? You know, I know the NFL's in Las Vegas, but for the night, the WWE stole the headlines from the NFL in Las Vegas on their awards night. How about that? All those videos. The Rock, Roman Reigns, Cody Rhodes, uh, slaps, cussing. The Rock going a little rated R, dropped an F-bomb in the in the backstage to really sell, to really blur the line, Bob, that it was a real situation and not a work. He, he was back there foul-mouthed. Cursing up a storm. I didn't see any of that. Uh, I I did see him on. Uh, he made an appearance on McAfee yesterday. Strategic, of course, and uh, and he was doing some foreshadowing and uh, was wearing a bizarro uh, kind of light blue leatherish jacket. It was kind of an odd look, but something that a bad guy would wear, right? Exactly. Something that a, a heel would wear. Like you, when I yeah. saw him wear that, and he was talking about certain things on the McAfee show, I was like, oh, he's gearing up to for a heel turn. Yeah. And then he came out and. The crowd was kind of booing him, and he looked a little bothered by that. And then he he came out wearing all black. I was like, yep, that's that's usually a good giveaway in wrestling. If they're wearing black, it's typically a, a bad guy thing. And next thing you knew, the heel turn was complete. So we're getting a little Hollywood rock where he's saying, you know, how he's the biggest star and blah, blah, blah. So a successful night for them. Does Did he break out his, uh, you know, his signature tagline? Can, or does that if just... you smell what the rock is cooking, yeah, yeah he, he said a variation of it, but yeah, yeah, and then also dropped it. Doesn't matter what you think. That was another one of his where he'd ask a question. So Bob, what do you think about WrestleMania? Yeah, yeah it start... doesn't yeah. matter what you think. Yeah, yeah, yeah you start answering. Yes. it. he essentially yes. kind of pulled out a little bit of that. So yeah, uh, but shout out to Bianca Belair, VFL. What a woman! <laughs> what a woman! Yeah, friend of Fox Sports Knoxville, by the way. Did she really? Yeah, she came on and did an interview with us prior yep. to uh, WrestleMania a couple years ago. Nice. Yeah. Friend of the program. Very nice. Love to see it. Where do you want to go next? you want to go to Tennessee basketball since we're talking Bianca Belair, a little VFL action? Yeah, we a do. A lady ball you can trust, by the way. None of those ladies over there playing basketball right now you can trust on the women's side. But Bianca, lady ball for life that you can trust in this basketball team is one you could trust right now, too. Yeah, a big game this weekend. Uh, we've talked about it on and off this week. Um, maybe the one, as fans, we're probably most concerned about, at least in the next handful of games, because it's down in College Station. And Texas A&M is kind of a funky team, but they're they're dangerous. They're, they're, they certainly could win that game tomorrow night, and it's likely going to be a, a wild atmosphere as coach Polinsky said to us yesterday on his appearance that everybody gears up for Tennessee these days when they go on the road so uh, they're they're expecting a, a loud crowd a packed house um, and it's a team Texas A&M if you recall at the beginning of the season I, they were I mean, they were ranked high, maybe even close to the top 10 in the preseason rankings. I want to say they were right outside the top 10, around like number 12, if I remember correctly. But I want to say they were also picked to win the conference by yes, the media, they were. if I remember uh, the right way. But Texas A&M, that was an ugly game last year, Tennessee's trip to College Station. Yeah. That was a, kind of a, a gross one. You lost that one 68-63, to 63, and it was frustrating. So, like, you owe them a little bit of payback, and you need to go out there and get a win at College Station. Sam, what is your level of concern for Tennessee headed to College Station tomorrow? Um, I'm not concerned, but I, I do think that— So I'll mark that down as low concern. Low concern, but I don't think it's a team that you need to mess around with. To me, coming into the season, I thought Texas A&M was maybe the third-best team in the in the SEC. Um and so, yeah, I mean, I, I think they've got some guys kind of all around. I think they've got, obviously, great guard play with Wade Taylor and Radford. And, you know, they've got some some dangerous big men. I, th I think Coleman's a guy that could probably provide us some problems if, you know, you kind of have one of those nights from your big men where they don't match the physicality of somebody else. But I think that you've got to feel pretty solid about your matchup with them. But I just think that if you kind of come in and you're a little lazy, Texas A&M's a team that can bite you. I don't want to call this a must-win. Because, I mean, obviously it's not. It's not a must-win. If you lose, it's disappointing. But, like, the season's not ruined or anything. But for me, this is a big vibes game. This is a game that if you lose, you undo a lot of the goodwill from last weekend of beating Kentucky. Like, I think if you came out of that four-game stretch two and two, you would be disappointed. 
Like last week at the beginning of the week on Monday, Bob, if I told you, you're going to go one and one this week against South Carolina and at Kentucky. You might not have been thrilled. You might not have been like, yeah, lock that in. I'll take that. But you'd be like, okay, that's fine. Understandable. Right. Not a big deal. Now you would have thought you would have beat South Carolina and lost to Kentucky. You know, obviously. But if I told you last Monday that you're getting ready to play South Carolina at Kentucky, LSU, and A&M, and you're going to go 2-2, two and two, that would be a disappointment. I would agree with that. You would not have locked that in at all. You'd be very upset. You'd be like, this is a failure of a stretch. With that, So with that being said, Tennessee really needs to win this and get to that 3-1 and one of your last four games and not lose to an A&M team. That's solid. It's a top 50 team, but it is a team that is not on your level this year. That's the thing. I, I look at it, uh, and, and I st- – we talked with Will Warren about this too, and it, it's what confuses me a little. I guess maybe we buy into some of the preseason hype that existed for Texas A&M. I mean, you look at their metrics, um, 53rd in offensive efficiency, 56th in defensive efficiency, 321st in pace, although we bought into that hype, you know, that high number in pace with South Carolina, and we saw where that got us. But, but also, and Will mentioned this, or maybe Polinsky did. It was number one nationally in offensive rebounding. I mean, they 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 get after it underneath. So um, it's one of those that on paper I look at it. And I'm like, I don't know why I'm worried about this game, but I am worried about this game. And and I agree with you. I think it maybe not must win, but boy, it would tarnish a, a good body of work over the last two games if uh, if they happen to lose. You are now in position to be a legitimate threat for a one seed. Correct. Like, you are in that position. You don't have to even go perfect down the stretch to get to that one seed level. You you could have a slip-up here and there, but I don't think you can really I, – I don't think you need this slip-up at A&M. If you, if you have this slip-up at A&M, I don't think you're disqualified from a one seed because it's not that bad of a loss. It's a quad one loss, blah, blah, blah. But it, it really – removes the rest of your margin for error. Like, you have to be pretty much perfect down the stretch after this game if you lose this one. So I would rather keep my save a life in my back pocket to throw out when we actually need it. So I want Tennessee to come out and just flex their muscle a little bit. It's a road game. It's at College Station. It's a far trip. I get all that. You're going to have to hop on a plane to get there. I understand. But you, you won at Wisconsin. Wisconsin's better. The Cole Center's a tougher place to play. You won at Kentucky. Kentucky's better. Rupp Arena's a tougher place to play. You should not be overwhelmed by going to Texas A&M and whatever the hell their arena's called. I don't know what their arena's called. Uh, yeah. The, the gig- house that A.C. Law the Fourth built. I don't know. Gigum Center. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. Um yeah, it, obviously the game's going to matter to A&M. They're currently projecting as a 10 seed for the tournament, um, but in the last four buys range. So they're in that range where they can't afford to lose many more games either. So um, it's going to matter to them. Buzz Williams is a good coach. We always talk about that. Um, but you're right. There, there's no reason Tennessee shouldn't go down there and take care of business. Uh, there's there's just no reason at all. Let's uh Let's let's just believe that uh, what we've seen these last couple games is the is the trend. That's where we're headed, and that'd be a good sign. Because you're right, it, the, to again to be in the conversation for a one seed is feels good. That's one of, and we know that likely those one seeds. There's probably two of them that are locked up already, pretty close with Purdue and Connecticut. Uh, they'd have to have a total meltdown. So really, it's then you're gunning for you know there's going to be a bunch of teams gunning for two spots. So. It's nice to be in that mix, but we've got to take care of business to continue to be in that mix. Yeah, it was a nice little flex by Polinsky to be like, hey, you know, when we come to town, we're a main event. You know, yeah. people people want to come and beat us. We, we could sell out any arena. I mean, I know that's not the way he was saying it, but it's not far off in terms of when you come to town with a number five or number six next to your ranking and you're thought of as one of, if not the best team in the conference, it matters. It matters. And Tennessee – has reached that level. You know, I don't know if teams are quite getting up for Tennessee the level they still like beating Kentucky, just because Kentucky, you know, has ran the conference for a long time and has the tradition and all that. I get that, but we've talked about the last five years, Tennessee's been just as good. Tennessee comes into these games ranked just as high, if not higher. 
Texas A&M, if you're them, you're looking at like, I don't want to say house money because a loss does hurt a little bit. It's a wasted opportunity. But a loss for them just kind of helps their resume just in the sense of it's a, it bolsters your RPI and your strength of schedule just playing Tennessee. Just Tennessee showing up to your arena helps you when it comes to who you've played. A close loss against Tennessee is better than beating some of these SEC teams. So a loss isn't the end of the world for AM. It might even be a little advantageous, but a win there is a resume builder and at some levels can be a resume maker. And also a wrinkle is that you turn around and play this team not too many days later. You're, you're going to play them. Right. You're going to play them uh, February 24th. So. You know, twice within two weeks. So that, that that's an, another wrinkle. You don't always get that in the SEC where you play a team twice within two weeks. I think it's nice that we uh, we allowed 18 offensive boards the game before we run into the best offensive rebounding team in the country, basically. Well, you know, I kind of said that to Polinsky. Like, you won, you won by 20, the resume's still intact, the RPI is going to look good with the 20-point win, but... There's plenty of stuff you can look at and mm-hmm. really get after the team's ass about. Like Absolutely. Your offensive lack, you know, you're getting lackadaisical on offense, and then just getting dominated. How many? What was the rebounding numbers? 18 to 5 on the offensive. Yeah, I loved how he termed it. He said, We lost the backboard, is how he called yeah, it. Yeah. Which, uh, yeah. they, they almost did. had more offensive rebounds than we had total rebounds right. in the game. That's right. We had, what, 26 total rebounds, I think. So. It's not to, not to point fingers at anybody, but I was reading the game recap from uh, the VolQuest guys, and. I don't know what the hell happened over there. Rob Lewis was complimenting Tennessee's rebounding performance and said Tennessee had won the glass. And I was like, did, how did that? How did that make it across the editing well, board of like the same game? <laughs> yeah, what stat did you look at? What stat did you look at? Because Tennessee got dominated on the glass. Yeah, we had 21 defensive boards on Wednesday, and they had 18 offensive boards. How many total rebounds did we have? Maybe six. Yeah, maybe he looked and saw that we had more rebounds than they had offensive rebounds. Maybe that was the mistake. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, probably. We had twenty six. They had eighteen. Oh wait, that's offensive rebounds to total rebounds. I mean, there were some other lines that you know we turned LSU over a lot. Oh, yeah. sure, there was a huge gap there. But yeah, that is a puzzling. Well, a also puzzling I, comment. I imagine the shooting performance was also favored in Tennessee's way as well. So yeah, like, yeah. You don't need offensive rebounds if you're shooting that well. Correct, and you're going to have obviously more opportunities to get offensive rebounds if you're shooting poorly versus less offensive rebound opportunities if you're shooting well. So, like Tennessee, although honestly, like a crazy stat, and maybe it's just as simple as the turnovers, and I guess it probably is because they had 16 turnovers, but like. The shot attempts, LSU had 58, Tennessee had 56. Yeah. And it wasn't like Tennessee like wasted a bunch of possessions at the free throw line because LSU shot 22 free throws to Tennessee's 20. So to get offensive rebounded, to get out offensive rebounded to the number you did and to still only have two fewer shots than your opponent is pretty amazing. It's strange, too. Points in the paint in that game, Tennessee outscored uh, LSU thirty eight to twenty six. Yeah, um, but then LSU it's a that's it's a puzzler. Second chance points. LSU had twenty. Tennessee had ten. I mean, it's so it actually furthers what you just said about Rob Lewis. It's like, with all respect to Rob Lewis, I was like, what the hell, man? That's this is a weird game to, in general statistically. Um, and there was a point, and I don't know, you know, Tennessee had thirty one buckets and twenty three assists. Yeah. So the ball movement was very crisp. I know in the first half, at a certain point, the announcer said Tennessee has 15 buckets, and on those first 15 buckets, they had 13 assists. So it was, you know, a, a game where the entire team was moving the ball. It's what you want. It wasn't throw it to connect and stand around and watch him and hope that he can save you. It was, hey, move, pass. The ball movement from Tennessee was great in that game, and it was highlighted by the number of assists. Yeah, 23 assists to – to the flip side, LSU had 24 buckets. They had seven assists. Like when they were scoring, it was all having to be like one on one, create something because uh, the team defense was not breaking down. And that ratio, we talked about it in the Kentucky game. It showed itself again in the LSU game when it comes to Sakai. He shot the ball nine times, but also had nine assists. And it's so he hasn't been upside down in a couple of games. Chris Paul esque, man. That's what I'm saying. Like, those are the type of stat lines Chris Paul has where he scores 15 points on seven shots and will throw out, you know, 13 assists, two turnovers. Like, that's the type of control he has right now. And Zakai, 
you know, not going to have the NBA career as Chris Paul did. I wouldn't imagine. I imagine Zakai's going to be a guy that makes a lot of money overseas, be a fan favorite overseas, and be a millionaire over there, if I was guessing. But as far as college point guard, college basketball point guards go, you can't find a guy that's playing better right now this week. I agree. Over the last two games. Now, you know, against South Carolina, you know, three games ago, he wasn't very good at all. He was 0 for 6, I believe, if I remember correctly. But, like, the two-game stretch he's on right now of Kentucky and, and LSU, be hard to find a point guard in the country playing better than him. So, like, he does have that ability. He does have that ceiling. It's credit to him. So you think this will be four and a half, roughly, ballpark? If I was guessing, I'm in the four, four and a half range, if I'm guessing. You know, it's a top 50 team at home. Tennessee going to come in ranked, you know, at number six, I believe, in the polls. So, like, so Tennessee is going to be favored, of course, but I don't think it's going to be some big number, some huge number. I will say this. If Tennessee comes out and wins that game, they will ha- there's no question they'll have earned it. These guys will – they're going to – they're going to throw everything at Tennessee, I would think. Just like Polinski said, it's an important game for the fans, for the for the program at A and um, I think you talk about vibes. I think the vibes will be stronger if they uh, if they take care of business down there because that's this is a, this is a big win. Well, it's it's, it. it's your last game that you look at kind of as a as a trip up game for the next couple weeks, right? It's your last. I want to say test before you get to that you know final two week stretch where the season will be determined, or at least the regular season will be determined by. Like, if you get through uh, tomorrow against A&M like you should, 8 o'clock ESPN, you should be able to come home and take care of business against Vanderbilt. Or I guess you could go to Arkansas next. You should be able to go to Arkansas and win, come home, take care of business against Vanderbilt, go to Missouri, win, and then you'll set up another game against A&M at home where at least you're going up against somebody with a pulse and – you, know, you win that game, and then you're in that stretch. Let's just hope love doesn't win on Valentine's Day. <laughs> Let's just yeah. hope not. Yeah, a, a lover's quarrel down in Arkansas. But A&M, a top 50 defense, a top 50 offense. But those numbers are 47 on offense and 49 on defense, so barely. They're your stereotypical bubble team is what they are. Yep. We've been on the bubble before. We know what kind of team that means we are. It means you're a team that's probably not going to win on the road, but you have a chance to pull it out instead of uh, at home. Like that's what you're banking on, and that's the position they find themselves in. Anything else to add about AM? No. Let's go get it. Sam, anything else to add about AM? Yeah, not really. If anybody wants to weigh in on AM, you can call in at 865-546-8200 if you want to talk the state of the team and the matchup against AM tomorrow. We will put you on and let you talk. If not, we will move on. From Tennessee A&M, you know what's at stake. You've been keeping up with the season. This isn't new. You know what kind of run Tennessee's on right now. I, I told you at the beginning of the show, Arizona could have done you a solid last night by losing, but they didn't. They kept the pressure on you, so Tennessee has to answer and hold serve themselves. Saturday is going to be big, as Sam pointed out, for your battle against Arizona. They're at Colorado. You're at A&M. Can both teams hold serve? Will somebody blink? Whoever does blink is going to put themselves in a bad position. Colorado's going to have a better chance of beating Arizona. If I was projecting that point spread, I would think that's going to be more around the two and a half, three and a half range. Two and a half, three is what I'll guess there. I think Colorado has a chance to to pull that upset. Arizona's going to go in for a dogfight there. Send us to break. It's the morning show on Fan Run Radio. Ever been the... All right, I'm done with college basketball for now. It is Super Bowl Friday. Let's focus on the big game. Two heavyweights going at it. I mean, I do think that we got to an interesting matchup. I don't know if I'd say these are the two best teams, but they've been both franchises, of course, that have been really good for the last four years. We deserve kind of a rematch from that first Super Bowl because the first Super Bowl they had, I thought, was one of the best Super Bowls we've had. You know, it, it didn't have like a crazy ending or anything, but Kansas City coming back from a 10-point deficit, the big pass to Tyree Kill, going down, taking the lead, 
Jimmy Garoppolo just missing the game-winning touchdown by about a yard on an overthrow. I do think this deserves a rematch, so I'm excited to see it. Did you rank that game as highly as I did when I'm talking to the Chiefs 49ers round one? Did you did you think it was as great as I just made it sound? It was a good game. I I, I do remember that. Um, You're not ranking it in terms of your best endings anywhere, like in terms of tense fourth quarters? Not not for me. And okay. Not like top three or something like that. No, I wouldn't yeah. say that. Well, top three, I mean... We've had we've had a couple Super Bowls. I mean, one in our life, Sam, or I guess you weren't alive, but it affects you. I'm, do you still get triggered watching the ending of the the oh, Titans yeah. Super Bowl? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know anything about it, but yeah, that still pisses me off. Okay, so there's not like a part of you that's like, man, I'm glad I wasn't. I'm glad I didn't miss the Super Bowl that I'll get to see the Titans' first Super Bowl because you still have to deal with the fallout of like, hey, your franchise has never won one. Yeah, like I yeah. still have friends telling me all the time, like, oh, yeah. win a Super Bowl. So, well, I always okay. just tell them, well, I was like you. I was a Cowboys fan when I was six, so <laughs> I did win a Super Bowl. Because I was just like you and just randomly picked my teams, too. So I won a Super Bowl and an NBA championship. I love the Bulls, too. My teams won Super Bowls all the time. My team won. <laughs> I, when I was a kid, Bob, I went back to back to back in the NBA and went back to back with the Cowboys and won three out of four. And, and then, you know, even my Vols won a couple titles. You know, with the women's basketball program, three in a row. I was nothing but a champion when I was a kid. I had a buddy like you. He liked uh, the Bulls, the Yankees. I mean, it was like, it was like any team. Yeah, you know, we'd give him grief. You know, when uh, hold on, Bob, I was six. Yeah, this I was is six. It. This, no, that's fair. That I'm saying this yeah. guy was an adult. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> I, I'm doing it facetiously. Your adult friend, he he he's the problem. He's yeah. bad. Although he might have better, he might have more fun with sports than we've had though. Maybe true. I don't know. Yeah, as long as you could take the heat of being a front runner, you know, that's uh I'm a winner, baby. I know how to yeah. pick a winner. But has he stuck with the Bulls and Yankees? Because now he's kinda of stuck on franchises that aren't winners anymore, and that seems like hell. No, he's a Celtics fan now. Okay, nice. <laughs> yeah, seriously. And he's from uh, Michigan, so he's also a Lions fan. Now. Nice. That's it's so yeah, it keeps shifting. It he, he's he's unapologetic about it, so I'll give him that. Um when I was a kid, um I had the uh uh, this is not a thing anymore, but it used to be the big NFL team jacket no, with, the, with the kind of vinyl sleeves. Yeah. The I had a Steelers one. It was it was badass nice. with the yellow sleeves, black jacket. Uh, and so I kind of liked the Steelers back then, but I also liked the Colts as a kid because I liked their helmet. It was always you know goofy reasons why you would like them if they weren't in your hometown. But uh, yeah, one of the first NFL games I remember was the AFC Championship between the Colts and Steelers, where Harbaugh. Through that Hail Mary at the end, and that almost got caught for a win. And Captain Comeback, that's what they yeah. called him back then. Yeah. Were was... you all in on the Colts at that point? Oh, you... oh, yeah. I was all okay. in. I was all in on the Colts back before they moved to Indianapolis. Okay. They were they were terrible back then. But yeah, um, yeah. And that Colts team, it's hard to believe they were that close to a Super Bowl. Yeah. They were not very good. I don't remember anything about them. I just, yeah. I know I used to watch the game, and my mom had a crush on Bill Cowher. <laughs> and that always made me a little uncomfortable as, as a kid. He's got a good jaw. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he was. I guess I, I could see like the rugged handsomeness of him. I don't know. Now I have to hear her talk about Kevin Costner. He's doing it now with the whole Yellowstone. He's, he's got all the uh, older older women in love now. But Bill Cowher was that guy back in the day. So, so okay. So <laughs> we're gonna move off of Bill Cowher's handsomeness. Fair enough. Um, CBS Sports did, you know, they've got all sorts. There are a plethora of information for Super Bowl stories. They did their they did their top 15 top finishes in Super Bowl history. We're not going to go through 15 of them, but maybe like the top five or six. I'd Our be. boy Jordan Dejani, CBS Sports, he is at the Super Bowl this week. I don't know if you saw him. He went a little viral wearing his, some goofy suit he was wearing at Vegas. Really? And, yeah, for media day. So shout out to him, friend of the program. Top 15, yeah, I, I don't want to do that. I, I don't know if I want to guess either. Sam, before we get to the actual list, how they rank them, is there any in your lifetime that you would stand out and say best finishes? Um, I mean, Bob's already seen the list. He's been swayed. He's been – They're kind of no-brainers in my opinion. But. Okay. Like the the Steelers-Cardinals one stands out to me. That one was so boring just because I was so not invested in that game. The ending was great, but I, I didn't do a Super Bowl party. I didn't put any bets on the game. I just laid on the couch. And watched it, and like didn't didn't move me. I was kind of rooting for the Cardinals, but like it just didn't have a rooting interest. 
I think the end is just kind of obviously what sticks out. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Patriots Seahawks like the the one yard finish like that one obviously. Is that the answer? Is that number one, Bob, or do they give it to the Falcons Patriots because of the comeback and the overtime like sudden death nature of it? No. Neither one of them are number number one. Nope. Okay. Interesting. I mean, I think we've had some good endings because, I mean, like the goal line stand in the Harbar Bowl was kind of exciting, too. I mean, that mm-hmm. was a yeah. first and goal from the four or five, and, you know, you get four straight stops. Ray Lewis and Ed Reed's kind of yep. swan song and, and Kaepernick trying to break through and, and win a Super Bowl at the goal line and not being able to. I'll rattle off the top six and see what you guys think. Uh, the, and the reason I'm doing six instead of five is uh, number six is noteworthy to me, and that is – uh, the Super Bowl in 2002, Patriots over the Rams, 20 to 17. This was the emergence of uh, Tom Brady. What? They had that as what number? Number six. Okay. Number six. I mean, I've gone back and watched the end of that Super Bowl. I don't feel like that was anything that exciting. It was. You have, like, it's kind of crazy how far we've come in sports since then because, I mean, that was 2002. But, like, you have John Madden telling them to sit on the ball with, like, a minute and 20 seconds. So I'm just like, hey, you know, I just go to overtime here and not make a mistake. And that that's what the announcer is like. Bet, you know, imagine now a quarterback getting the ball with a minute and 20 left. You're like, yep, you're going to go try to go get in field goal range. And he's like, the Tom Brady should just sit on it. This is a mistake. And then he takes him down the field with, like, a couple of, like, dump downs to some t- uh, tight ends and running backs. So for that to be number six, it's kind of surprising. Well, if I'd love to know what the spread on that game was because if if you were, the Rams, you guys were super young. Sam, you weren't even uh, able to watch it. But it, the Rams were clearly favored in this one. The Rams were like at the peak of their – you know, greatest show on turf offense and all that. I want to. I mean, I want to say it was like thirteen. Yeah, I want to say because like it was around the same because it was around the biggest. I want to say because the Giants, Patriots in two thousand seven slash eight, I think passed or it was like right around that same range. It's like biggest spread since then or whatever. But yeah, fourteen. Looking yeah. it up, DraftKings says it was fourteen. Number five was uh, the ninety one Super Bowl. Um, Neither of you guys were around. No, no. And, I was uh, alive, but... Bills lose to the Giants 2019. That's the Scott Norwood wide right. Was that field goal to win the game or... Yes. Yeah. Tie the game. It was to win it? To win it. Oh, Missed man. it with eight seconds left in the game. I knew they missed a field goal, but I couldn't remember if it was to tie it and send it to overtime or to win it. Yeah. That's tough. Uh, losing a Super Bowl that way would be... Uh, I wouldn't watch football for... again. Smallest margin of victory in Super Bowl history. Um, okay, number four. Steelers Cardinals, Sam, the one you talked about. Um, I just remember that Santonio Holmes catch. Yeah. That's all I remember yeah. in that game. Terrible literally. throw by Big Ben to drift yeah, that into really double was. coverage because they were only down three, I believe, right? I think they could have tied it with the field goal. Correct. And he could have, he almost threw an interception to lose the game. Yeah, Steelers 27, Cardinals 3, 2009. Um, number three in 2000, the Rams over the Titans. Very sorry, guys. Thanks for not one. Eh, you know, I, I still. It, it hurts, but at the same time, when I watch the the replay and I watch the final drive, I'm more so just like happy to see Steve McNair out there breaking tackles and running around making plays. It was it was a great game. I do remember that to watch that drive and the yeah. Titans were seven point underdogs. So I mean, like it was about what it was supposed to be. And the the one that hurts me worse is the giving up the long touchdown pass. Like cause it was covered, and you just missed a tackle, and it turned into like a seventy four yard touchdown, and like. To me, that hurts worse than getting tackled a yard short because it was more like three yards short. He wasn't even really that close to yeah. the stretch out. I mean, like he was down. I mean, it wasn't. Hey, it was I, amazing. He hard, hard way, hard, one. hard, hard way to end it. But that was a hell of a season. Make one damn move. Number two. Move. Although Jeff Fisher did say uh, recently that he was asked if he'd have gone for two, he said no. So he liked the way it was trending. It would have gone to overtime. The thing that gets me about that game, not to cut you off about number two, but like you're fine. People look at that and say. It was for the win. It was just a tie of the game. There's no guarantee we would have won. Yeah. It wasn't like it was a game-winning touchdown. It was a tie of the game. Anyways, number two is what? Number two, 2015 Super Bowl. Patriots 28, Seahawks 24. The Malcolm Butler interception of Russell Wilson after they'd been running Marshawn Lynch like a 
beast they they throw at the goal line. That that game just uh, that was so frustrating because I was so over the Patriots at that point. I had a lot of money on the Seahawks that day too. Yeah, I've been on the wrong side of two of the most iconic endings in sports history. Yeah, and I see replays about it all the time. And unlike the Super Bowl, I do get triggered. That goal line situation a yard away, and then Ray Allen game six against the Spurs. I had a lot of money on the Spurs to win the series. And in game six. And I took an hour shower after that and just laid in the shower. <laughs> an hour like, shower. What the hell is wrong with The arrested development. Yeah. You got, you're crying uh, with the no, cloth in your mouth. No tears. Just sitting there like, oh, my God. I can't believe they did. Cool. I, I, still, get, I still get triggered. I was watching the, the Clippers-Pelicans the other night, and I saw Kawhi Leonard shooting free throws, and I got triggered back to him missing a clutch free throw in that game. And I thought back to that shot. But, yeah, that's a good number two. What's number one? Number one. And it's really, again, kind of a no-brainer once you remember it. Uh, the 2008 Super Bowl, Giants 17, Patriots 14, the David Tyree catch on his helmet from Eli Manning. Um, it was a 32-yard completion um, late in the game. That gave the Giants the lead when it or led to a Plaxico Burris touchdown. And the Patriots drove. And as I recall, were the Patriots, were they were they undefeated that season? Yeah, mm-hmm. that was the year they were yeah. 18 and 0. Yeah. Yep. I don't so, think they drove, though. I don't remember them driving. Yeah. I remember them trying to throw Hail Marys to Randy Moss and like not being able to hit anything. Like They said, yeah, they said here they uh, Brady and Moss nearly connected on a desperation fourth down deep pass that would have given New England the ball in field goal range yeah. with two seconds left. Yeah, I don't, I don't remember them driving at all. I think they went four and out. Like, I don't think they even picked up a first down. Yeah. But they did come very, very close. To hitting a Hail Mary to Randy Moss. I do remember that. Said that Brady threw the ball almost 85 yards yeah. on that play in the air. Yeah. So, no, it was uh, – I remember that one. I, I think was. that's a, I think that's a worthy number one, I would say. It had the moment with the helmet catch, but I just think the, the ending to the Seahawks-Patriots is probably it – was, it was more intense – Definitely more intense. I just think I, I'm I'm taking the context too that the Patriots were such a juggernaut. Sure, and they, yeah. they went down and, but yeah, I'd say there's a fair argument for number two. The, the Patriots had come back from a ten point deficit. You had the the diving. Like Edelman had a crazy catch. I think I believe he had a crazy catch. He and did. Then, he did. And then you had like the Seahawks almost score a touchdown. They tackle him. You know, Doug Baldwin, I believe it was, almost broke it in for a touchdown. Gets tackled, and then of course that led to the one yard decision, and then the the scenario surrounding the decision because, like, locker room dynamics of the Seahawks thinking they just didn't want Marshawn Lynch to be MVP and they wanted the golden boy Russell Wilson, so they're throwing it and intercepted. But, yeah, the helmet catch, that was iconic. Hour two in the books. We'll kick off hour three. We'll grab Dustin Colquitt, VFL and Kansas City Chief. Stick with us. It's the morning show on Fan Run Radio. A brand built in Tennessee.